Hello and welcome. This is Don, your Gabe. This is the Coasty Cup of Coffee podcast where I talk about games, TV shows, media, current events, just whatever the hell I feel like talking about. Today we'll be talking about Final Fantasy. They have 15 games that are numbered and a bunch of spinoffs. I don't even know how many games they have. It's a, it's a big series. And um, for whatever reason, as big as it is, it still feels like... I'm almost 30 years old, and when I talk to other guys in my office that play video games and have their whole life, there's this still seems like the majority of people are kind of like, oh, that, that I've heard of it, but I never really played it. It's kind of, kind of a nerdy game. Like, only really hardcore nerds seem to play this game, and I, I guess I never really thought of myself as that nerdy, but maybe I am. Maybe this is just a cult classic type of thing that I, I don't know. Um, but I grew up loving this franchise, and um, it's uh, it started to change. Final Fantasy has been changing for uh, for a while now, and um, with the latest installment, I just couldn't get over just how much it had changed. And change isn't always bad, but Final Fantasy fifteen just fired on zero cylinders for me and and I was trying to figure like what what the hell is wrong with this game like why do I hate this game so much is it my nostalgia blinding me to a new game is it that I only like the old games because I grew up playing them like what exactly is it about the old Final Fantasy games that I love so much why do I enjoy playing them so much why am I almost 30 years old and I still go back and play the first ones that I ever played and enjoy them in their pixelated glory more than I enjoy a polished PlayStation 4 game such as Final Fantasy 15. Why can't I enjoy that in the way that it's intended? Why do I have to compare it to games as old as PlayStation 1, as old as NES even? So I had to go back. I had to go back to the first Final Fantasy game that I had ever played. And then I got there, and I realized that maybe I even had to go further back than that, because what made me even get turned on to that game in the first place? So I had to think about RPGs just in general. What What is it? What was the game that, that really got me into the format of an RPG in the first place? And I think as the same as it is for a lot of people, for me, it was it was Zelda. Zelda Ocarina of Time on the Nintendo 64. That was the game that I played as, I don't even know how young I was. I, I was in my prime video gaming years as a child when Ocarina of Time came out. And um, it was it was perfect. There, there's really nothing bad to say about the game. You, you're in there and you're... You're fucking your your link, and, and you you explore. You have this big open world that you can run around and do whatever the hell you want. But there is plenty of direction and plenty of things pointing you in the direction of where you need to go, what you need to do. But you can still fuck around and do you know like other stuff and whatever you want to do. And it's epic, like the, just the story is epic. Like you you you're just you feel like you're part of this huge, huge thing that's bigger than yourself. And at the same time, you can project yourself onto this character, Link, because in that game, they use this mechanic where Link never really talks. Every time he had supposedly said something, the character you're talking to repeats it back to you as if you said it. They do this on purpose. They really wanted you to feel like you were playing this game. You were the one that was in this game. Yeah, you don't look like that, dude. You're not a blonde-haired, skirt-wearing, green-tunic-wearing dude. But but that's you. That's what they wanted you to feel. And it worked. People love Zelda because they really can identify with being that person because he's kind of a blank slate. He doesn't really have much of a personality. So you can feel like you're really that person. And that's what worked for that game. So you might be thinking, well, Final Fantasy games aren't anything like that. And... You may be right to an extent. Depends on which games you played. So that brings me to the first Final Fantasy game that I ever played. 
Final Fantasy VIII. Which, as it turns out, statistically, I'm not going to fucking look them up again. I've heard it from countless sources from multiple fan bases of Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy VIII is a common first Final Fantasy for people in my age group. Maybe it's because of the time frame that it came out. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's because the graphic capabilities really upped dramatically from 7 to 8. Whatever the case may be, Final Fantasy VIII is a common first Final Fantasy for many fans. So I played this game for the first time, and the only other game that I had played where I could really consider my... The only, the only game... Let's start that sentence over. The only other game that I had played that was remotely similar to Final Fantasy VIII before I played Final Fantasy VIII was Zelda. When I first discovered Final Fantasy VIII, I wasn't even allowed to play it. I was, uh, according to my parents, I was too young to play it because, God forbid, I play a T-rated game when I'm 10, 11 years old. I don't know how fucking old I was, but... So I wasn't allowed to actually play it. But they would let me watch my brother play it. Don't tell me how that works. Beholding everything that happens in the game somehow is different than actually playing it. Whatever. So I was able to experience the entirety of this game as a spectator before I ever even had to actually play it. So it was kind of like I was just watching this movie. And and I must say that before this experience that I had, I had never seen someone play a game that could be viewed as a movie in the way that this game could. Now granted, this was before voice acting, so you did have to read. So it was almost like a graphic novel that moved in its pages. It was amazing. This this game was was groundbreaking, at least for me, because I had never played any other Final Fantasy games at this point in my life. I had no idea about Final Fantasy VII or VI or any of the other ones that had amazing stories. For me, this was this was a new thing. You start off in this game as a very introverted, very cut-off-from-the-world kind of guy named Squall. Now, he has people surrounding him throughout this game that try to talk to him and try to be his friend and be friendly with him, and he's just constantly pushing people away. Now, this introverted kind of thinking to myself in in, in parentheses kind of person, whoever made Final Fantasy VIII knew that this was going to identify with a lot of gamers because let's face it a lot of people that play video games a lot are not the type to go out and socialize at least at the time they weren't at the time that this game came out at the time that final fantasy 8 came out in the what was it the late 90s video games were not as mainstream as they are today they were still primarily teenage guys, maybe young adolescent guys that uh, maybe didn't have a lot of friends, or if they did, they all liked video games as well, and they kind of stayed inside a lot, and they, and they were not socially adept. This character of Squall really, really spoke to this demographic of people, because they could see this guy and the way he was acting around other people, and they're like, I, I get that, like, I, I understand that feeling. I'm like that. So that really, that, that was a brilliant mechanic that they, that they put in there as a character that someone could Id- identify with that. So you go through this story as Squall, and you, you meet a love interest, you meet other friends, and throughout the course of the game, the, the main focus of the game really is about you opening up to people. Now, if you've played Final Fantasy VIII, you'll know that there's a batshit crazy story about sorceresses, even though it's like a partially futuristic kind of world. It's a it's it's a very interesting story where you fight this sorceress named Ultimisha, who's from the future, but she comes back to the past to control some other sorceress, and there's time travel and time compression where all times are in the same time, and it's all this kind of weird bullshit, and... It's super interesting, and, and you know, someone might think, oh, yeah, that's what the story's about, but no. 
this story is not about a sorceress. No, I don't care. You can watch the 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 cutscene that they put out there for the trailer of this game when it came out, and you would think that oh, it's about some, it's about this witch or whatever. And okay, it is about that, but primarily it isn't. Primarily, it's about you as a person who's cut off from the world because of a traumatic experience you had as a child being separated from the only person you cared about it's about you learning to open up to other people and primarily learning to open up to a love interest that personifies into Renoa your love interest in the game someone who's your polar opposite in the game by the way Renoa in Final Fantasy 8 is outgoing is overly friendly is kind of Ditsy, which is all of the opposites of Squall. Squall thinks a lot. He thinks everything through, almost too much so. He doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't like opening up to people. They're polar opposites. This plays into the idea that opposites attract, which we could get into a debate of whether or not that's true, but in some scenarios it is, and in this scenario it works very well. It's endearing. It's endearing to watch this story unfold of two so radically different people start to connect. And their connection sprouts other connections that this guy doesn't want to open up to. He he has these friends around them that he doesn't maybe even consider friends at the time, but just co-workers. And over time, as he learns to open up to Renoa, he learns to open up to these other friends as well. And this is all in the background of the main, or the supposed main story of tracking down this sorceress and defeating her to instill peace in the world because she's wreaking havoc she's basically creating wars and that's basically a red herring of distracting you from what really is intended to be the main story so that you don't get bored if you're not into that but it's brilliant it's a brilliantly told story it really really is and it would it had never been done to this depth before I mean, you could argue that Final Fantasy VII did a better job in storytelling, but it was a different kind of story, and it didn't, it didn't speak to the demographic of gamers the way that Final Fantasy VIII did, because Final Fantasy VIII spoke specifically to those introverted kids that, that maybe didn't have a lot of friends and, and didn't know how to talk to people, and this was a way for them to kind of escape into a world where they could actually be validated. And I know that sounds weird because, you know, we've all grown up at this point and realized that, you know, it's not that hard to talk to people. It's not that hard to make friends. But when you're young and when you're in that position, it doesn't seem that way. It, it, this seems like the biggest thing in the goddamn world that, you know, you you might be a kid that goes to school every day and just doesn't uh, doesn't know how to talk to people. But you go home and you play this game and you feel like, you have connections, even though these are fictional characters. It's like the way the people used to be with reading books. I, mean, I would hope that the way the people still are with reading books, I would hope that people still read books. I am a millennial, a product of my generation, and I'm more of a video game, video person, but people have done the same thing with books. They escape into books and they identify with characters that aren't real because they don't identify with people in real life. Video games have really taken the mantle on this, especially when it comes to Final Fantasy VIII. This is the reason that Final Fantasy VIII was the first Final Fantasy for so many people, because if you gave it a chance, you could really get into this game, and you could really get into this story. It was a story-driven game. Specifically, Final Fantasy VIII, of all the Final Fantasies, is really not hard with the combat if you know what you're doing. And I think that was intentional because they really wanted to make it more about the story. They wanted to make it to where the combat and progressing through the game wasn't so hard so that you could feel like you were playing a game while primarily focusing on the narrative that they were trying to tell you in the story. This was all so new to me when I when, when I first saw this game, when I first played this game, when I first watched my brother play it, and then I played it later. It was kind of a life-changing moment as silly as that sounds but at the time my adolescence video games were a big part of my life so i 
watch my brother play it and then when I was able to sneak around my parents and then and then eventually they just didn't care and they said whatever just play it I played it and I played it from beginning to end and it was just so fulfilling and it was the first game that I got to the end and I felt empty not empty that I wasted my time because I didn't feel that way, but empty in the sense that I completed this great story, this these characters that I had become so close with in this game that I felt like I almost knew them as real people. And then it, it was over. The game was over. And I was back to real life. And what was I supposed to do now? What the hell am I supposed to do now? Like, I... Like... Can I do more? Like, can I go back into the game and maybe do some extra shit? Well, there's some side quests in there that you can do in the, in the last disc of the game, but Final Fantasy VIII didn't really focus on side quests, so really, once you're done with it, you're, you're, you're kind of fucking done with it. And it's a shitty feeling. And, and, not, and not that that's anything negative to the game, because the reason it's a shitty feeling is because the game is so good, and the story is so good, and it's so engrossing, that it feels like when you binge watch a show on Netflix and then when it's over, you're, you feel lost. You don't know what to do because now it's over. Final Fantasy was once so good at doing this. And Final Fantasy VIII was the first experience that I had with it. So let's, uh, let's get back to the point here. So Final Fantasy VIII was where it started for me. Final Fantasy VIII is where it started for a lot of people. So I was hooked. I wanted more. I, I played this game and I was like, God damn, this game is good. They all must be this good, right? Final Fantasy VIII was so amazing. There's seven other games. Are you fucking kidding me? So let's work backwards because you don't want to go from Final Fantasy VIII to Final Fantasy One and get uh, shell shock and fucking graphic capability. So, so naturally you just go back one go to Final Fantasy 7. And as anyone who even kind of likes Final Fantasy would know, Final Fantasy 7 is widely considered to be the best Final Fantasy of all. And I think that's up for debate personally, but Final Fantasy 7 is definitely in the running. When you open up with Final Fantasy and you're Cloud and and you play with Tifa and Barrett and and, and all the gang, it's it's a it's an engrossing story. It really is. And while Cloud as a character may be very different from Squall, you can still kind of identify with him just a little bit because he's not super outgoing and he doesn't really put himself out there quite a lot in in his personality. I would akin Cloud a lot more to a character like Link, where Cloud does speak quite a bit in the story, but like Link, he doesn't really drive the story with his personality so much. His personality is kind of dull. Every other personality in the game really shines in contrast with his more or less I am the narrator story, even though he's not. But it's kind of like that feel. He's the guy that everything's happening to, but his emotions play, uh, they definitely play a part in some of the more emotional parts of the game. I'm not trying to downplay Cloud as a character, but he does. He definitely resembles Link more than he re- resembles Squall because when you're playing Final Fantasy VIII, Squall is 100% the focus of the game. Everything goes on inside his head where you're in Final Fantasy VII and um, until near the end of the second disc when you literally go inside Cloud's head. It, it's not it's not really his story. I mean, it is and it, it does turn into his story, but in the first disc especially, it's really not his story. The first disc is really Barrett and Tifa's story because it's all about Midgar and it's all about defeating Shinra. And, and, and that really doesn't have a lot to do with Cloud. At least it doesn't seem to. Not in the first disc anyway. So you're really just kind of watching the story itself and, and it's, it's less character-driven than Final Fantasy VIII is. It's, it's a little more story-driven than character-driven. However, Final Fantasy VII has the benefit of having a phenomenal villain. If anything, I think that you could say that Sephiroth is the main character of Final Fantasy VII, in a way, because Sephiroth is really the driving force in Final Fantasy VII. 
I mean, it's a intriguing story. I mean, sure, there there's probably been a countless stories of genetically engineered. Oh, I I have no real mother. My mother is a my my mother is a uh, experiment in a lab. But oh, but she's an alien. Like all this kind of weird shit. Sure, that's been done since then and probably before then. But when Final Fantasy VII came out, that was pretty rare for a video game to have that kind of a deep narrative. And this is prior to Final Fantasy VIII as well. So Final Fantasy VII was a groundbreaker for so many reasons because it was an engrossing story with an incredible villain that was movie-worthy. I mean, he legitimately was movie-worthy. They made movies. They made Avon Children. They, they, I, I know that they've made other games based off of Final Fantasy VII, and I wholeheartedly believe that it's because Sephiroth was so incredibly popular as a villain. I do believe that if it wasn't for Sephiroth, Final Fantasy VII would not have done as well as it did. Sure, the story was good on its own, but it was primarily good because, goddamn, that's a good villain. And I do think you can make the argument in a lot of cases that making a good villain could be one of the most important things you can do in a game, in, in a story, in general. That's really where Final Fantasy VII shined. Because when you really think about it, Final Fantasy VIII didn't have a great villain. Ultimisha wasn't that great of a villain. Ultimisha was kind of like this generic, I am just evil, and I'm evil for the sake of being evil, and I'm just going to create havoc for the purpose of having conflict in the game, but you and I both know that Final Fantasy VIII wasn't really about that. It was about Squall and Renoa, and Squall opening up to Renoa and other people, and learning to trust people again, and letting people into their lives again, and that, let, or letting other people into his life again, it's, which is so much deeper than uh, good guys versus bad guys plot. So you could argue... The Final Fantasy VIII is a deeper game than Final Fantasy VII, and I know that's going to be a controversial thing to say because people love Final Fantasy VII so much. Hell, I love Final Fantasy VII so much, and I think that overall Final Fantasy VII probably is a better story. But it's probably not as deep as Final Fantasy VIII because Final Fantasy VIII is a character study, and it was the first one. It was it was the first video game of its time to really be that deep of a character study. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. But Final Fantasy VIII came out in the 90s, and it was, it was kind of like a psychology trip. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. But so was Final Fantasy VII, just in a different way. So what do they have in common, Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII? Well, they both have incredibly engrossing stories. They both take place over multiple discs, was at the time, which was, what, excuse me, which at the time was not common. It took a lot of your time. These games took 30, 40, 50 hours to complete if you really wanted to get the meat off the bones. It, it was it was an endeavor to, to play these games, and, and you really had to devote your time to it. It wasn't some Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 that you could pick up and play for 5, 10, 15 minutes and then put it back down and not give a fuck. It was, it was, it was a part of you. Like, it was part of your life. Like, this was a thing that you did. It wasn't just, I'm going to go home and play video games. It was... I want to continue this story. So I played Final Fantasy VIII, played Final Fantasy VII, and I realized that, holy shit, this franchise is really fucking good. Like, are they all this good? Because so far, we're, 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 we're two and two. I mean, it was amazing. So rather than go backwards further, at this point in time, Final Fantasy IX was a thing. Now... Back back in the time when I played Final Fantasy IX, I didn't think about the effects of PlayStation 2 coming out on the verge of Final Fantasy IX coming out, or at the same time even. I, that wasn't on my mind. Final Fantasy IX was just another Final Fantasy, and I just wanted to play it. Little did I know that so few people played it at the time because of PlayStation 2 coming out. This is where... I'm probably going to get slightly controversial because I don't think that this is a very popular opinion. But, if I had to choose the best Final Fantasy, I do think I would choose Final Fantasy IX. Final Fantasy VII is great. Final Fantasy VIII is great. They're both great stories. They have great characters. I don't know what it is about Final Fantasy IX, but it has everything. 
Final Fantasy IX is just a fucking masterpiece that has no flaws. Except maybe the slightly slow ATB gauge that makes battles last maybe a little bit longer than they should. But, hear me out here. Sure, your bar fills up a little slower than maybe it should. But think about it this way. The first couple Final Fantasies were turn-based. Final Fantasy IX, you could just look at it as a turn-based game, even though it's not technically a turn-based game. Because of how slow it is, you could just look at it that way. So, sure, every game has its flaws. Maybe that's its only flaw. Final Fantasy IX, goddamn, was it just an incredible story. The best story that Final Fantasy has ever told. And, and I, really do, I really do believe that. Because... Every character is incredibly well done. That's really what it comes down to. Final Fantasy VIII, you have a couple of really strong characters and a couple of other characters that have really distinct personalities, but they're not super, super intrinsically done. In Final Fantasy VIII, you have Squall and you have Renoa, and they're both spent a lot of time on, especially Squall. You, you know who they are. You, you know who these people would be in real life if you met them in real life. But then you have Selfie, Irvine, Quistus, Zell, and they all have a very specific personality, but you don't really delve into their character so deeply that you really know who they are outside of a fairly vague caricature. They... Halfway so. I mean, they, they really do take some time on them, but it's really not to the extent that Final Fantasy IX is. Final Fantasy IX really does a character study on every single character in the game. There's not a character in the game that you play in your party that you don't feel like you know them. So take Zidane, for instance. You start off in this game, and you're a, you're a thief whose name's Zidane, and... Somehow you're just a very, what's the word, sympathetic guy. Sure, you are in a band of literal thieves, but right off the bat you can tell that this guy is just endearing, he's a good guy, that even though he's in a band of thieves, that he has a code of honor, like he, he just does. And his worst uh, character trait is probably maybe being a little bit too much of a skirt chaser which is a fairly common trope in games and movies of this type. So you have this guy, and he's, a, he, he's, he's been assigned in his group of people to kidnap the princess, the princess Garnett. And uh, <laughs> as soon as you try to do so, you realize that she's trying to run away herself. And there's this, there's this great scene in the very beginning of the game where she's running away from you because you're trying to capture her, and she runs away into your ship because, in her mind, she's trying to get away anyway. She turns around, and she looks at you, and she begs you to kidnap her. And there's this great scene where you just, you're looking up, up at her and down at her hands, holding your hands, and back up at her, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> she, she wants to be kidnapped? And there's this, the, the, the character's, are already being fleshed out so well because you have this very headstrong princess who knows exactly what she wants to do and is not afraid to do it and is not afraid to grab the hand of a stranger and basically implore him to do her bidding. And not because she's a princess, but because she's a strong-willed person. Because at no point does she say, I am the princess, do as I say. No. She just tells him that she wants him to do it. And Zidane, being who he is, does it. And, and you can tell right there that he's not doing it because it's his job, but because he's, he's interested. He's interested in this person at this point. And this is like the first fucking 15 minutes of the game. I mean, maybe 20, 25, depending on how many jump ropes you do with Vivi. But it's so early on you just you get this really deep sense of who these characters are already you have Zidane who is an adventurous very sympathetic person to someone's needs and Garnett who's later named Dagger who 
you can tell just has this deep-seated desire to, 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 to make a difference in the world, and you just don't know what it is yet. You don't know why she's running away, but you know that she's a strong-willed person who needs to do something important and is willing to put everything on the line for, for what she feels like she needs to do. So you, you already are getting a, 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 deep, a deep understanding, on the surface at least, of who these characters are. So you, you start to progress through the game and, and, you, and you meet all these other characters. You meet, I mean, you've, you've already met Vivi before, but you really meet him after this point when Vivi meets Zidane. Because Zidane really is the catalyst for Vivi coming out of his shell. And that's really another big part of it that, I, that Final Fantasy IX does that arguably only Final Fantasy VIII does before this game with Renoa to Squall. But it's only one person. Final Fantasy IX has a character for every character for their character arc. Zidane helps Vivi into his character arc. Because he tries to mentor Vivi, who's this down-in-the-dumps black mage who doesn't know his identity in the world. And he, and he doesn't know... He, he's not confident, and he's not confident in himself because he doesn't really know where he comes from or what his purpose is. And even before they find out where he comes from or what his purpose is, if there is one, Zidane is just so supportive of this kid. He's just all, He takes him under his wing immediately, and he's just defensive of him, and, and he just t- he's just so inclusive of everyone that comes into the group throughout the game, and it really rubs off on Zidane, or it really, it really has an effect on Vivi in a positive way early on, to where he can feel safe and he can feel confident in himself. And uh, if we're, while we're talking about Vivi, if we can, ta- if we can come away from the, from the character development for just one moment, Final Fantasy IX other than being an amazing character piece, really delves deep into really difficult issues that most people don't want to talk about. The, one of the main ones being identity. Who am I? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do and why? Why should I do it? Every character in the game goes through this question. Garnett, in the very beginning, goes through this question. My mother is doing something that I don't know what it is, and I need to figure out what it is. And then that sets her on this path of eventually taking over for her and needing to find out what kind of queen she is, what she's supposed to be doing, why she does what she does, why did she go with Zidane when she did, and why did she still want to go out with him into the world when she was supposed to be ruling as a queen? She just really has this journey of figuring out who am I, what kind of ruler do I want to be, do I want to be a ruler at all, how do I do it, how do I, how do I be the best person to my people. That's her story. Zidane, the main character of the game, never knows where he comes from. All he knows is the band of thieves that he grew up with. He has no idea where he came from or what his purpose is, and yet somehow he functions very well and has no issue with his personal life, at least you don't think so, until the very moment that they end up on Terra, where apparently he comes from, and he sees all these people that look like him, and all of a sudden he doesn't know what the hell is going on, and then all of a sudden he needs to know, why was I created? And what am I supposed to do and why? And he goes through this insane identity crisis in, in the third act of the game, near the, near the end of the third disc of the four discs of the game, where he tries to reject his friends and he tries to reject everything that he's done up to that point because his identity crisis that he goes through is so severe that he feels like there's been no meaning in anything he's done thus far because it's all been a lie. And the beautiful thing that this game does that none of the other games have ever done and no game in the history of games that I've seen has done as well is that it really shows that connection between friends. Basically, the, he, he goes through this hall of, of monsters and he's fighting these monsters while he's going through his identity crisis and his friends keep showing up to help him. 
and he keeps pushing them away and they're like dude like shut your mouth you know that we're your friends it doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter why you're created you are your own person you do what you want to do and that's all that matters it doesn't matter why you're created it doesn't matter what other people want you to do it only matters what you feel your purpose is and what you want to do and you have made the decision to be with us and to be our friend and to be our ally and go through life helping us and doing the right thing and that's what matters and in the end of the third disc at the end of this identity crisis he goes through he's he's complete he he really figures out who he is and and it's incredibly deep vivi goes through a very similar thing as well maybe not so in depth but in the very first disc he realizes that there's a bunch of people that look just like him that are essentially puppets that are controlled by somebody else. And then he wonders, am I just a puppet as well? Do, do I mean anything? Does my does my existence mean anything? Am I meaningless? And then later on, they go to a village of, of these, uh, these black mages that have become sentient and are no longer under control of someone else. And they realize that their lifespan is limited, which might not be... A big deal to a human person that is already limited in their lifespan, but it's a revelation for someone who doesn't realize that's a thing, that realizes that one day they might die, one day soon they might die. So this comes to the other theme of this game. While it deals with identity, it also deals with death. It deals with death quite a bit. In fact, it's a central theme in the game coming to terms with death and, and and being at peace with the idea of death, knowing that you can live a full life and live a meaningful life and not fear death. This is an, this cycle is, is very illustrated in the game, especially through Vivi, especially through the random last boss Necron at the end, but uh, we won't get into that. Every character in this game goes through an amazing amazing character development even steiner the knight that is just chivalrous for chivalry's sake in the very beginning he will he won't have it from zidane zidane is a thief he has no honor steiner could not could not hate him more one of the best things in this game that we haven't even talked about yet steiner with zidane their relationship together progressing through the game two people that hate each other because they're such polar opposites. One person who believes he's honorable and therefore more honorable than other people. Meanwhile, Zidane, who thinks that his honor is a joke and that he just doesn't think for himself and therefore how the hell is that honorable and he doesn't know what he's doing because he's just doing what he's ordered to do. They both feel that they're honorable people and they also both feel that the other is not. And throughout the course of this game, they come to understand each other. They come, to, they come to really care about each other because they understand that even though that they're very different from each other, that they're actually very much the same. That they both care deeply about being honorable, even if their version of honor has manifested in different ways in their previous lives. And over the course of the game, their story becomes the same because they face the same things together and they realize that they really are more similar than they thought they were in the beginning. One's a knight and one's a thief, but they both care deeply about doing the right thing and helping others more and above themselves. Final Fantasy IX is essentially a flawless game, at least in regard to the story. The story and the characters, it it just could not be any better. So I've talked a lot about Final Fantasy 8, 7, 9, and all the greatest things about Final Fantasy stories. I have gone and played Final Fantasy 1. I've played a tiny bit of Final Fantasy 2. I've dabbled Final Fantasy 4. And and they're all decent games. Obviously, they're not as heavy in the story as these later entries. Final Fantasy IV, as far as I've played it, does seem to be segueing into a much heavier story, and I think I'm going to like it. So, so back to what this started as. What makes Final Fantasy so amazing? What makes Final Fantasy Final Fantasy? 
Well, in the NES, Super Nintendo, and PlayStation era, were they on Super Nintendo? I, I can't remember. I, I was so young at the time. But in that era, what made Final Fantasy Final Fantasy was primarily the story. The story-driven game. And I guess you could argue the turn-based combat, the random encounter combat, similar to Pokemon. That was a part of it, too. That was a very large part of it as well. And people like that. I like that. A lot of people like that combat system. A lot of people like that gameplay. And that gameplay is an important part of Final Fantasy in that era. But is it really what makes Final Fantasy Final Fantasy? I don't think it is. I think that what makes Final Fantasy what it is is the intrinsic time and effort and thought put into these characters and these stories that make it to where even if you don't like a part of the game for its gameplay, you still love the game because you're being engrossed in an incredible story. So what happened to Final Fantasy? Why is it not good anymore? Why do I feel that it's just not good anymore? Why don't I like the newer Final Fantasies? Do they not have good stories? Is it because I long for the retro turn-based gameplay? What is the reason that I don't like these new Final Fantasies? Because I can tell you I wanted to like these Final Fantasies. I wanted to continue to like this franchise that has been such a big part of my life for so long. Why the hell wouldn't I? Nobody goes into a beloved franchise of games or movies or TV shows wanting to start disliking it. Nobody went into Star Wars The Last Jedi wanting to dislike it. There aren't these trolls that go to the movie theaters or buy these video games and say, man, I'm going to buy this game, I'm going to watch this movie, and by goddamn, I'm going to hate it. No. That's not the way fans are. Fans want to like the things that they're fans of. So what makes a fandom break? What, what, what is it about Final Fantasy specifically that has changed so drastically that so many people have fallen off the bandwagon? Myself included. Where did it start is really the first question. Well, I'd say it started with Final Fantasy X. Don't get me wrong, Final Fantasy X is a fantastic game. It is. Final Fantasy X is a very good game. It is a very good story. It is a very interesting story. But Final Fantasy X is where we introduced voice acting into the Final Fantasy world. And inherently, in voice acting, you lose a part of the story you got to kind of be a part of. Because you're no longer voicing these characters in your mind. They're being spoken to you. It's becoming more like a movie than perhaps a graphic novel that it kind of was before. I understand that video games are not graphic novels, but you know what I mean. The level of interpretation that you get, the voices that you make for them in your head... The, the way that they come off when they say things was all under your control before and now all of a sudden it's not. Now all of a sudden it's very apparent and very obvious exactly how people are saying things. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's progress in games. You have to have voice acting when progress comes along. Why wouldn't you? It can really enhance the gameplay when it's done well. So was Final Fantasy X done well with his voice acting? Well, that's debatable. <laughs> a lot of people have a lot of issues with the voice acting in Final Fantasy X. And there are a lot of issues with it. But overall, I'd say that it was still done well. I'd say that the emotions, which are the most important part of the dialogue, were conveyed very well. Sure, Titus or Titus or however you want to pronounce his name was a bit whiny. A bit annoying, to say the least. But is that the worst thing in the world? Isn't it somewhat identifiable in yourself? 
what if you were really in the position that Titus was in? Wouldn't you be a little frustrated and a little homesick and just a little mad at the people that caused this to happen to you? I mean, isn't that understandable? Sure, maybe he was a little overdramatic about stuff, but Final Fantasy X was not a bad game, and it was not poorly executed in the story, even as it comes to the characters and their voices, especially for the time. I mean, you got to remember, this was very early on in voice acting and games. I mean, I'd say that it was done amazingly, given the fact that it was very early on. So, what is it about Final Fantasy X that started to make Final Fantasy go downhill outside of the fact that you are losing some control of your experience based on the voice acting alone. Well, part of the exploration has been taken away. Now, the levels that you walk through in Final Fantasy X, they have split off, splinters off, that you can go in, in little areas and find treasure chests, and you can talk to lots of different people, and there's plenty to do in the towns and cities that you go in, of course. But the overworld is missing. You don't even get to choose where you're at in Final Fantasy X until near the very end, when you finally get access to Sid's airship. And even then, you're given a list of cities and you click on it and you go there and there's not anything inherently wrong with that but it really takes the exploration aspect away you don't feel like you're navigating through a world anymore you just feel like you're selecting a level much in the same way that you are with fucking Mario or Star Fox like you're going to different worlds and in the worlds they're fairly fairly large and, and, and there's there's some stuff to look at, but you're not getting to go there. You're not getting to explore the road along the way. You're just poofing you're there. And it, it does it does matter. Like it does take there's a reason that Shigeru Miyamoto, when he made Ocarina of Time, decided to at the last minute make an open world an open Hyrule field in between the different levels instead of making it the way that they made Super Mario 64 where you jumped into a bunch of paintings. Sure, maybe they didn't think they had the space at the time and that's the only reason they were going to do that. So when they realized that they could do it, the obvious choice was to make this a very tangible world. Because as soon as you take that away, as soon as you give them a list of places to just click and go to, it takes away a part of you feeling like you're in that world. Because you can't connect the dots. You can't feel like, yep, I came from here to there, and I know exactly how I got there, and this is the world, and I know in relation to this where that is. It takes away a piece of you feeling like you're part of that world. It really, really does. But that's not the biggest deal in the world, I suppose. But it's, but it's still... It's where it started going downhill. Final Fantasy X did do these little things that started to take away the, from the general feel of what Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy was at one point. But overall, Final Fantasy X was still a fantastic game. And it definitely did a really good job with the relationships between the characters, even if the characters were sometimes a little caricature-y. But by the end, I think many people had a tear or two in their eye when when Titus had to go back to being a dream. I mean, or not being a dream anymore, however you want to say it. He disappeared because he was no longer going to be dreamt of. Not exactly sure how I explained that, but essentially he was saying goodbye to Yuna and it was very heartfelt it was very meaningful and and i think a lot of people got a lot out of that story so even though the gameplay suffered in a lot of areas in final fantasy 10 the story was still so incredible that i think not so many people cared that the gameplay suffered there are some vocal people about the gameplay some people didn't like the literal like, okay, this is your turn, and then you can see the boss has two turns, and then it's your turn again. And But 
actually, I think there's an argument to me that that's actually good gameplay. I think that strategy is something that is definitely arguably good. I mean, being able to strategize when your turn comes, I mean, it's definitely a type of gameplay that some people like, myself included. So there's, it's not inherently bad. You may not like that, but it can be a very good thing. Not everything has to be active time battle. So what happened after Final Fantasy X? And we're not going to get into Final Fantasy XI because we're not going to talk about the online ones because they don't really count. So Final Fantasy XII, I guess we can't really talk about that one too much because I didn't really play it too much. I tried to get into it and I just couldn't. But I'm not going to be overly critical on it because I didn't give it its fair chance. I All I'll say is that the battle system was very, very different. And I just personally wasn't a big fan. That's not to say it's bad. That's not to say that it can't be great. That's not to say that the game isn't great. But I had to move on from that one because it wasn't my thing. So we're just going to talk immediately about Final Fantasy XIII. Final Fantasy XIII... I hated it a lot more when it came out than I do now. I think that they really made the battles overwrought. So battles take far too long to complete and it becomes extremely tedious. And that really hinders the story, which is, as we have discussed, is the main selling point of a Final Fantasy game is the story. You want to stay engrossed in the story. You don't want to be separated from the storyline for too long because then all of a sudden you're like oh wait what the hell is going on so i think that final fantasy 13 could have benefited from making the battles a little bit shorter but that's a smaller critique a lot of people hated the fact that it was literally one long goddamn hallway throughout the entire game there's very little exploration involved which as i discussed in final fantasy 10 is definitely detrimental but where Final Fantasy XIII does add over Final Fantasy X is that it really spends a lot of time in cutscenes and story, which, depending on whether you want that or not, is good or bad. But Final Fantasy XIII, whether you like the story or not, really, really takes its time in trying to tell you the story. Final Fantasy XIII might be more of a movie than it is a game, to be quite honest. The story's not bad, so Final Fantasy XIII is still halfway decent, but it really takes a hit in a lot of the character development. Final Fantasy XIII does not do a good job of developing its characters. You get a basic idea of people's personalities, but it doesn't do a good job of conveying why people are the way that they are, and why you should sympathize with them. You're given, for instance, the, the guy with the, the afro and the, and the chocobo or whatever living in his hair. Saz, I think his name is. He gets a fairly well fleshed out backstory as to why he's all pissed off. But a lot of the other characters are just not well told. And, and you go through most of the game just knowing their personality but not their story and not knowing what makes them want what they want and and even the ones that you do know what they want you, you just you, you don't care that much because it's just not they're the characters are not very attractive in their personality i mean the character of snow i mean he's just he's insufferable everybody hates that guy there's nothing to like about him even his apparent unbreakable chivalry, it, it just comes off as fake as fuck. And just none of the characters in Final Fantasy Thirteen are very likable. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest flaws about it, is that even the characters that you get and you understand, they're not likable. None of the characters in Final Fantasy Thirteen are likable. You just kind of don't really care what happens to these assholes, because they're all either dumb or mean or both. And by the end of the game, you feel like you got a fairly decent story about shitty characters. And you can't have one without the other. I mean, and have a good story. I mean, if the story is good but the characters suck, then why would you care what happens to these characters that you don't care about? It's, 
it's kind of a little bit paradoxical. I mean, it, and it's and it's a damn shame that they had a fairly decent story, but they didn't have any good characters for it to follow, or for they, they didn't have a good character story relationship. And I have a whole YouTube video on why Final Fantasy fifteen sucks. I I don't even want to get too deeply in to Final Fantasy fifteen and why it is a horrendous massacre of suckage. I mean, there's just almost nothing to like about Final Fantasy fifteen if you're a traditional Final Fantasy fan. The characters suck, the story is confusing and slow-paced and takes forever to get off the ground. Apparently, that you need to watch this this I don't know if it's a show or what it is you need to watch this thing called King's something I, I don't know in order to understand what's going on before you even fucking play the game and it's like you shouldn't need that the game should stand on its own and anything else should just be supplemental you go into this game and you don't care about the characters and you never do because not only are they boring as fuck but they're annoying as fuck. Like, none of the characters are people that you care at all about following around. I literally could not continue playing Final Fantasy XV just because of how insufferable the characters were. And who cares how good the story is if the characters are that goddamn annoying? I just don't understand how they got that bad. I, I don't understand how a franchise could go from the level of perfection of 7, 8, and 9 from PlayStation era to to go through three iterations of PlayStation and come out the other end in a hot, steaming pile of garbage. I just... I, I don't understand it. I, I want to have a long, hard talk with the people that made this game that took... 10 years to make this game and ask them what the hell were you what the hell were you thinking it's just really upsetting it's upsetting for any fandom of anything to follow something for so long and just see something fall so far from your expectations and so far lower than what you know that they're capable of. And I mean, the same goddamn thing happened with Star Wars, but maybe not as dramatic. And it's upsetting because you see that they're going in this direction. They're, they're, they're changing the direction of the entire Final Fantasy franchise into what they believe is going to be more mainstream, more popular. I mean, the Final Fantasy fifteen opens up with Final Fantasy for old fans and new fans, or whatever the fuck. And no, it's not for the old fans. It is only for new for newcomers. It's got nothing. It's got nothing for the old fans. It has no reminiscence of the original Final Fantasy games. Even if you go back to the really original Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 4 that I've played at least, they aren't even anything like this game. There's nothing. It's just a new, completely different game. It would be not that bad of a game if they just called it fucking sword slashy impossible to lose. But no, they called it Final Fantasy 15, even though it's not really a Final Fantasy because that's really the problem. This is not a Final Fantasy game. I mean, even Final Fantasy thirteen was barely a Final Fantasy game. It just didn't really feel like it. And it's almost impossible to explain what I mean unless you play it, because I can talk all day about what I've talked about, but you really feel it when you play these games that they just... If you've been playing Final Fantasy since the PlayStation era, you, you know what I'm talking about. And and they just had something great, and, and they just slowly, slowly killed it. And I just, I don't know if it's ever coming back. I don't know if they're ever going to come out with another Final Fantasy that I'll be excited about. And it's sad. It's a sad thing. But I suppose that that just happens sometimes.
I'm not the one who spent hours upon days upon weeks and months and years to make these games. So why do I get to complain? What right do I have to say that their work sucks when they put so much time and effort into it? And I don't. I have no right to say that. I mean, does it suck? No. None of it sucks. But it's not as good as what it was. Not in my personal opinion and not in what I believe are many people's opinions. I think that anybody that enjoyed the original Final Fantasy games would agree that these new games are, at the very least, lesser, if not bad. But, uh, hey, I mean, that's just what I think. What, uh, why, don't, why don't you uh, tell me what you guys think? Uh, if you if you actually manage to listen to this whole thing, uh, what what do you guys think about Final Fantasy? Do you think that uh, do you think that they're making improvements? Do you think that they're adapting to the new market and making smart decisions, or do you think that they're ruining their franchise? I'm I'd be really curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. So uh, just let me know. And uh, this has been Don Your Gabe with Coasty Cup of Coffee. Yeah, thank you so much. See ya.